Okay, hi, let's get started. This is Danielle Karapkin from Thornhill, Ontario for webyeshiva.org. We are studying Maimonides' Guide for the Perplexed, the Rambam's Morin of Uchim. We are in the third section and we're beginning chapter 25 today. Uh, just to get our bearings, I think that what we would call chapter 25 is an excellent bridge between the discussion up until now um, uh, uh, to connect to the upcoming discussion chart starting with chapter 26. Up until now, the Rambam has been discussing divine providence, that is, how and in what ways God interacts with our universe, how do we explain the existence of evil in the presence of an all-perfect God, uh, the question of theodicy of why bad things happen to good people, all of this has been part of the discussion of divine providence, God's interaction with our existence. Um, the, uh, the, the, the upcoming discussion is going to, to be all about ta'amei ha-mitzvot, uh, the Rambam's exposition, a very lengthy exposition, on all of the different mitzvot and their reasons. And when we begin chapter 26, we'll get into that project and why the Rambam felt that that project was important. But um, for our purposes now in chapter 25, the Rambam really introduces that idea by explaining to us that everything that God does is always perfect and good. There is no deficiency, no uh, uh, frivolousness, and no um, futility in anything that God does in our world. Everything that exists Everything that you encounter in the realm of, of our terrestrial realm and in the celestial realm as well, everything is structured with purpose and design. Um, and anytime a person may encounter something that seems to be unnecessary or superfluous or disorganized, it's only a mistake on behalf of the beholder. Um, and as such, if Hashem did this to all of existence when he created the world, it only stands to reason that when God gives us a set of commandments, those commandments should be consistent with the great organizer of reality. And so just like all of reality is properly organized and created with purpose and there is nothing too much of this or too little of that, everything is in its proper measure, so too, when God gave us the commandments as a guide to how we should lead our lives, he gave us a very, very specific regimen uh, that is meant to be the perfect guide in helping us lead our lives in the way that we're supposed to. So I guess what you could say is that chapter 25 is really setting us up for Ta'ameha Mitzvot in the sense that it continues the discussion of divine providence and that everything that God has done for us in this world is with order and logic. Um, and in the same way, that's going to lead into this discussion of the mitzvot that God gave to us. So that's our introduction. I'm going now to share my screen so that we have a breakdown of the, um, of the chapter. Uh, as always, as I say every week, you can always <clears throat> download the uh, the handout for each individual chapter in one of two places, either by going to the Facebook group Shiur in Morena Vuchim, or by going to webyeshiva.org in the course description for today's course. And we've called this uh, chapter, God's Acts Are Always Good. 
The Rambam starts off this chapter by saying that there are four types of action. And I've been looking, trying to scour the internet to try to find the source for this categorization. I'm running up a little bit short, so if anyone who's listening knows if there's a philosophical source for these four types of action that the Rambam describes, I would love for you to enlighten me. Um, but I will get, I will mention something at the very end of the, our discussion today. But the Rambam describes four different types of action. There are actions which are futile, actions which are frivolous, actions which are, I guess you would say, in vain. And finally, and to contrast the first three, which are deficient in some way, there are actions that are good or excellent. Now, the Rambam goes out of order here in breaking down these four acts. Rav Kafich is not sure why he does that. It seems to me, at least I would uh, posit, um, as you'll see, we'll break it down logically in a moment, but um, the Rambam needs to present to us things that are the most dissimilar or, or associative to God and work his way up to the things that are more associative to God, going from the worst to the best, okay? But that's, that's just maybe one way of understanding the logic of this ordering system. So the Rambam starts with acts that are in vain. It's that is where the agent seeks the, the 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 performer of the action is what he calls the agent seeks to accomplish a specific goal but fails. So, for example, a person works very hard trying to find someone, trying to trap track down a lost, long lost relative, and he comes up short. He cannot find what he was looking for. That would have been a an action in vain or a vain action meaning that he put in all of this effort and came up with nothing. Another example is if a person were to toil in his business endeavors and never turn a profit, or if a physician tries to heal someone and fails to save the patient. All of those actions, are may, they may be noble, they may be ignoble, it doesn't really matter, but the end result is that the action resulted in nothing. It resulted in not getting the results the person or the actor was hoping for. The second category of actions, and as we'll see, the first three sets of actions um, <clears throat> are not uh, associative to God. God has no association with these types of actions. Futile acts is where the agent has no objective whatsoever, but acts absent-mindedly such as twiddling one th one's thumbs while immersed in thought, or any action that is done by inattentive or thoughtless individuals. If you're not really focused, you're not intellectually engaged, you could be performing futile acts um, because there's no objective in mind um, because you're not thinking about anything specific. And then the third one is called frivolous acts, where the agent has an objective but it is a lowly objective without great purpose or necessity. So the three examples that he gives are, the first one is such as dancing, if you're not dancing for exercise, but just for self-entertainment, or if you're a comedy performer and you wanna make people laugh, that, um, and uh, those are two examples that the Rambam gives. Um, I don't think we should show this to anyone in show business, this particular chapter, because they might be insulted. But the Rambam says, if you are an agent, if you are a performer of these kinds of actions, 
your actions are considered frivolous. They do have a purpose, but they don't have a significant purpose in the larger scheme of why we do things or why uh, uh, people or uh, other creatures do the things they do. And as you note, the Rambam then says, we must be careful with this classification because some acts might seem to be frivolous to the unlearned when they're really not frivolous. So he says, for example, let's say you see a person uh, running on a treadmill, right? You might say, well, why is this person running on a treadmill? He's exerting all of this energy and isn't getting anywhere, okay? And the answer would be is because he wants to do cardiovascular exercise to be able to improve his health. And so the Rambam acknowledges really quite interestingly, exercise was known in the times of the Rambam as being therapeutic. And uh, for some reason later, as we got into Eastern Europe, exercise fall, fell into uh, uh, becoming unpopular. I don't know the reason for that. But certainly in the Rambam's time, exercise, qua exercise for the purpose of be making sure that you stay healthy was something that was acknowledged and encouraged. And so the, some people who don't know anything about physical fitness may see a person on a treadmill seemingly going nowhere and say, oh, he's doing something frivolous. But in reality, he's not. Or another example he writes is an, uh, exerting oneself to write and to prepare paper and pens for writing. There were many people who felt what a waste of time. Why are you writing things down? You can just uh, study or you can ruminate or you can work, but why do you need to write ideas? People felt that that was wasteful. But of course, uh, people who are in the know recognize that writing actually helps to uh, focus uh, and perfect one's intellect. So he says some such activities may seem frivolous to the unlearned, but exercise when done right can maintain one's physical health and writing improves one's wisdom. Now, would the Rambam concede that if a person is very depressed, uh, they would benefit from someone performing comedy for them to cheer them up? Perhaps, but, uh, but taken in a vacuum, uh, uh, performing comedy or watching comedy is a frivolous action. Now, the next thing, uh, perhaps you would even say that watching comedy is even more frivolous than performing comedy because performative arts, or at least you're doing an action. When you're just being passive, that's even worse. Anyway, the fourth category are good actions. And that, as we'll see, are the only actions that can be attributed to the creator. It refers to where the agent has as his goal an important and virtuous objective, and he accomplishes that goal. So if we were to look at a logic chart, and I have to thank Rav Tolidano for in his Sefer on his commentary to the Morena Vuchim, he has this in Hebrew, and all I've done is I've just redone it in English. So you, you go through sort of almost like a flow chart. Does the act have purpose? So if the act has no purpose, then it's futile. And that's the first thing that the Rambam listed. If it does have a purpose, then it's not futile, but then you have to ask the next question, is the purpose useful and necessary? If the answer is no, so then that's called a frivolous act. It has purpose, but it has a frivolous purpose. If it is, if the purpose is useful and necessary, then you have to ask the final question, well, was the, did the action result in a successful result? Was the purpose successfully achieved? If no, 
then that was an act in vain. And if yes, then that results in ultimately a good act. God, by virtue of his being the perfect deity, is only capable of good actions. He's not capable of futile, frivolous, or actions in vain. Um, and therefore, this is born by the verse, says the Rambam, when you look at all of creation, the, 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 the very end of Genesis chapter 1 says, that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And that's the word tov that the Rambam is focusing on, which means good or excellent. It means that everything that God had done was an action that was not futile, it was not frivolous, and it was not in vain. Consequently, everything that he may be, may he be exalted has done for the sake of a thing is necessary for the existence of the thing or is very useful. There is no frivolous or, um, or purposeless action or, um, or phenomenon in creation. Everything is created with great purpose and therefore by definition it is good. For example, God created animals with the ability to nourish themselves and perceive with their senses. Nourishment allows the animal to continue living for a specified period of time because it was already known in the Rambam's time that if a creature uh, burns energy, they need nourishment in order to replenish uh, the, 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 the stores of energy in their body. And number two, sensory perception aids the animal to obtain the things it needs to survive and repel from itself the things that are injurious to it. So that's that was also understood that the reason why animals need ears and eyes and, and a nose with to smell things is in order to survive. Um, this is unlike artificial or what we would say man-made constructs um, uh, because we're, when it comes to man-made things, sometimes things could be frivolous or serve no purpose. But everything in the natural order in creation is purposeful regardless of whether we know the purpose or not. Now, at this, you know, when I was reading this uh, this text, it reminded me of a midrash. Um, this is a midrash that I learned when I was a child. Perhaps you learned it as well. Uh, the Rambam does not cite this midrash, but it, it's quite apropos for for the discussion that we're having. the The midrash says that once King David was sitting in his garden, and he saw a mosquito that was. Um, eating or trying to consume a, um, a spider. That's what, or a wasp that was trying to eat a spider. And then a man who was mentally uh, incapacitated, a mentally disabled individual came, had a stick in his hand and wax away the bugs. Okay, so Amar David Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch So at that moment, King David says before God, Ribono shel olam, master of the universe, mahana abeelu. I can't understand why did you create these three creatures: the wasp, the spider, and the uh, insane people. Um, he says, "Tzira ochelat devash umashchetet vein bahana." He says, "A wasp, unlike a bee, just consumes honey but doesn't produce any." A kabish yaro kol velo yilbashenu. A spider weaves its silk for an entire year, but never produces any kind of uh, significant fabric from it, unlike the silkworm. And And a person who's mentally disabled 
uh, all he does, he doesn't serve any useful purpose. All he does is annoy and, and harm people. And he has no cognizance. He doesn't recognize you, God. And he has no, he provides no benefit to the world. So why do these three beings exist? And Hashem's response to him was, King David, how dare you criticize the things that I have created. There will come a time when you will need all three of these things and you'll understand why they were created. And the Medrash, you know, uh, continues, for those of you who remember the story, um, uh, King David uh, was running, fleeing from King Saul at a certain period of his life before he was coronated as king. And um, uh, and he had to go hide because Saul's army was trying to kill him. He runs into a cave. God sends a spider to weave a web, a spider web on the, the opening of the cave. And this causes the army to pass it over, knowing that uh, if a person was hiding there, uh, he would have broken the web. So King David recognizes that the spider serves a purpose. Another time he's trying to flee, he's stuck because the guard who's at the entrance of the door has fallen asleep, preventing him from escaping. So, um, uh, and his legs are spread out such that if King David would try to crawl over him or under him, it would wake up the guard. A God sends a wasp, stings the guard in the leg, causes him to readjust his the, the positioning of his legs, allowing David to flee. And the third example is that when King David was fleeing, he ran to Philistine ter territory, lands up in the palace arrested by the Philistines and has to appear before Achishmelech Gat, um, the king of Gat uh, in the Philistine area. And, uh, and King David realizes that he needs to do something in order to uh, escape execution. And so he pretends that he's insane. Uh, the king of Gat, knowing, uh, being very annoyed by this because he himself had a child who was dis mentally disabled, said, I've got enough mentally disabled people in my kingdom, get rid of this person. And therefore, King David was saved by these three things. Okay, much more to say about this topic, but that's the general theology that the Rambam is presenting. Even when we don't understand why things exist in this world, everything serves a utility and a useful purpose. Now, we did learn about the Asherite view back in chapters 17 and 23, that they they were of the belief that it is futile to even try to uh, uh, understand the things in God's universe that he created because everything was created by his will. And the Asherites, if you remember going back to the end of section one, when we learned about the Mutakalimun, they learned that there is no real even cause and effect that everything that God does is by divine decree. There's no rhyme or reason behind it. And this corresponds to those who believe that God's acts are futile. Because if you believe that God just acts by will alone, without any wisdom invested in that effort, then, um, then this is like saying that God's acts are futile, like twiddling your thumbs. But in a sense, he says they're even worse. For when someone does a futile act, it is a result of their thoughtlessness. But, but they maintain that God thoughtfully and intentionally performs acts that have no logical end, no purpose, no relationship to things that, to causality of things that happened before or after. And therefore, they are in a sense even worse 
that, uh, than those who would assign futile acts to God. Further, it is further impossible to suggest that God's acts are frivolous, such as creating things for humor or entertainment when they don't serve a truly important purpose. He says some people erroneously suggest that God has a sense of humor in the way that he created the world, and he created monkeys for human entertainment. We don't know who these people are that the Rambam is referring to, but that's a very inappropriate way of looking at creation, that these things, because people couldn't find a useful use for monkeys. So they said, oh, it must be for human entertainment. He says, people who make such arguments are ignorant of the way things come into and out of existence, and they are also ignorant of this fundamental principle, namely, that the entire purpose of existence consists of God creating all those things that are A, possible based on the laws that he imbued within creation and be necessary to creation as deemed by his wisdom. In other words, it seems that the Rambam is saying that God doesn't create everything that is possible to exist in a natural world such as ours, governed by the laws of nature. There are certain things that God could have created. He God could have created flying dragons, right? Because naturally speaking, it is possible for reptiles to fly if they had wings, right? All God would have to do would be to fashion a, uh, you know, from using uh, his knowledge of, uh, of science and zoology to fashion a flying lizard. So it's possible for flying lizards to exist within nature, but God deemed them to be not necessary to creation as deemed by his wisdom. Why do lizards without wings exist and wizards with lizards with wings do not exist? That is a mystery, but it's only mysterious to us, but God understands the logic behind it. Those who suggest that nothing in existence has true purpose arrived at this conclusion by looking at the totality of creation. You know, sometimes people become nihilistic because they look at the totality of creation and they say, why does anything exist? Noting that there is no apparent reason for God to transition from non-existence to existence, they conclude that nothing exists in creation with, pur with purpose other than God wished it to be so, or God deemed it to be so, or willed it to be so. They extend this argument to the particulars of creation, such as arguing that the eye's construction, including the transparency of the cornea and the hole in the colored part of the eye, are not there to actually scientifically allow a person to see. They argue that these biological phenomena are completely arbitrary and that man could have seen with his eyes without the organs being fashioned the way they were. They fail to see the great precision and wisdom imbued into each and every component of creation. And what causes them to do that, the Rambam's trying to explain how people get to this uh, erroneous place in their thinking. When you look at the totality of creation, it's hard to understand why God at some moment in time decided to create existence. Why he brought anything into existence because God is perfect and he lacks for nothing. So it is that kind of question that leads people to say, well, if God had no reason for creation in general, then we cannot find any logical reason or make sense of any component of creation. But that would be a mistake. Instead of starting from the macro to the micro, you have to start from the micro to the macro. If you start in the individual components of creation and you see how intricate the human eye is or, um, or the, the cell of, of a living organism or a, a plant or a flower, 
and you and you see the ecosystem and how delicate it is and how God creates uh, bees in order to pollinate flowers and trees and how everything is interconnected within creation, you see a tremendous wisdom. And then when you pan out panoramically, you see that everything was created in a very, very ordered way. The ultimate question of why God had created anything should not daunt us from seeing the precision and the logic and the order that exists within the individual components. Now, the Rambam then talks about scripture, and he says that there are scriptures that seem to indicate that everything was created purely based on God's will without a determinate wisdom or reason. And he quotes three verses. One is, Kol asher Hashem in Psalms, God, anything that God wanted, he created, that exists everywhere in creation. Or in the book of Job, and God is the unitary being and who, who therefore can respond to him. His soul desired to do what he did, and he just made what he wanted. Or in Ecclesiastes, Basher Devar Melech Shilton, through the word of the ultimate ruler, who can say to God what to do? There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for what God does. That would be the superficial reading of those verses, but it is not the correct reading because we the Rambam rejects the idea that we cannot, uh, or the, he rejects the idea that God did things with indeterminate uh, will that doesn't have wisdom or logic behind it. The correct meaning of these verses is, Nothing hinders God's acts from coming into fruition. He wills only what is possible and not everything that is possible, but only that which is required by his wisdom to be such. Finally, nothing hinders God's actions from coming to be in the way he deems them to be. So nothing hinders God from acting and nothing hinders God from bringing into existence that which he wants to bring into existence. So even though nothing, you know, the first point, the first statement he's saying is nothing stops God from doing what he wants. The third statement is nothing stops God's objective from coming into reality in the way he wanted it to be. So that nothing is watered down in creation from the, uh, God's original intent. The world being produced in time may seem to be a challenge to this, but it is not because man uh, cannot fathom why God created uh, reality. Why did God transition from non-existence to existence in one moment in time? And what the whole creation story is a mystery. And if you recall going back to section two of the guide, this is one of the big questions that Aristotle had that forced or, or com compelled him to conclude that the, uh, the, the universe has eternally existed. So the Rambam's response, even though he discussed this extensively already back in section two, it may seem that God choosing to create the world at a specific time is completely arbitrary without anything other than his will involved in that decision. But we say no, and the direct quote from the Pines edition, his wisdom, the apprehension of which is beyond us, obligatorily necessitated the existence of this world as a whole at the moment when it came into existence and that the self-same immutable wisdom necessitated non-existence before the world came into existence. And all the Rambam is saying is, I don't understand why God created the universe. But that doesn't mean that it was done arbitrarily on a whim. It means that God brought everything into existence at the exact moment when his wisdom deemed it 
necessary for it to come into existence. Do we know why? Do we understand why anything exists? No, but we do have faith based on scripture, based on a tradition, that everything that God does is with intent, logic, precision, and wisdom. This is the meaning of the verse in Ecclesiastes when it says, et hakol asa yafe biito, that God created everything in its proper time, which the rabbis interpret as, if you look at the uh, Medrash in Bereshit Rabbi, it says, that the world was created in its proper time. And the world was not worthy or, or, or it was not appropriate for the world to be created before the moment in which it was created. Everything was done with precision and with intent and wisdom. The sages repeatedly say this with the objective of removing the thought that God's will has no purpose at all and is completely arbitrary. Rather, every facet of creation is perfectly organized with purpose and nothing exists for naught. That God's acts are all done with wisdom is manifest, therefore, in the following verses. And here the Rambam brings another set of verses, two from Tehillim. Marabu ma'asecha Hashem, how great are your acts, God. Kulam asita. Everything you did with wisdom, right? And uh, another verse from Tehillim, this one time from chapter 33. God's word is upright and all of his actions are faithful. And the final verse from Proverbs chapter 3, Hashem bechochmah yasad eretz. God in his wisdom established the earth. Konein shamayim bitavuna. He, he um, gives rise to the heavens with great understanding. And then the Rambam says, you should understand that this is not a uniquely Jewish idea. Aristotelian philosophy leads us to the same conclusion, that nothing in, cre in creation is futile, frivolous, or in vain. This is actually one of the great um, claims that was staked by Aristotle, that studying the cosmos uh, allows a person to recognize the great intellect of the prime mover. And as a matter of fact, Aristotle felt that the prime mover, or what he called God, uh, his intellect was the greatest intellect possible. And therefore, everything is, is done with great in intellectual endeavor. Um, and it is that intellect to which man should aspire to attach himself. This is even more the case when discussing the celestial fears, since their noble matter demands even more that they may be organized wisely. And the further out we get into the celestial realm, the closer we get to God, ultimately, because God is above the celestial spheres, and the closer we get to God, the more uh, perfect that wisdom is manifest. What causes men to err in their speculation about the purpose of existence? Why is it that people think that God's actions uh, were done with will without wisdom? So there are three factors, the Rambam says. Firstly, some imagine that everything exists for the sake of man alone, which would then leave a lot of things in creation inexplicable. In other words, if you believe that the whole purpose of creation is man, then why do tigers exist in the Amazon jungle? And therefore, it would seem that tigers in the Amazon are a frivolous or unnecessary creation. And uh, we refer you back to when we studied 
in this section, chapter 13, pages 451 and 452, the Rambam said very clearly it should not be believed that all the beings exist for the sake of the existence of man. There is purpose to every component of creation for its own sake, not just for the sake of serving man. This is one of the more controversial statements of the Rambam um, because there are many uh, citations from other sources in traditional Judaic literature that seem to contradict that. And we refer you back to our discussion when we study chapter 13 together, uh, where we actually, you know, had, had this, you know, hashed this idea out. But what compels the Rambam to say that th not everything that, ex that God created is for the sake of man? It's because the Rambam knew that he would come to this chapter where he would have to present to us this idea that everything, every single component of creation has purpose and is, was created with wisdom. Because he couldn't understand why some things exist if they're purely for the sake of man, he concluded that things exist for the sake of themselves. We may not understand why tigers exist in the Amazon forest, but they're not there for man. They're there for the sake of the Amazon forest or for the tiger or for a combination of a number of things. So that's the first error that people make that leads them astray and makes them think that certain things in creation have no purpose. Secondly, these people are ignorant of the nature of inferior matter, of the matter of our celeste, of our terrestrial realm. And in the Shem Tov commentary, he says, if one understood the chain of elements properly, one would see a great wisdom that connects all matter together. And one would not question why certain things in our terrestrial realm exist. Because if you see how everything is interconnected, you look at the ecosystem and you study it properly, you see that everything has purpose. If just removing sometimes one small component of a very delicate ecosystem could destroy the entire system. And thirdly, he says, these people are ignorant about the ultimate objective of creation, which is undoubtedly a good in contrast to non-existence. You know, people say, well, why did God create anything? Uh, existence is a good. Non-existence is a lack of good. So the Rambam says that from a philosophical point of view, the fact that anything exists is, is a result of God's goodness. You may ask, why did God bring anything into existence? The answer is, is because God is good. And if you don't recognize that existence is good, then you won't appreciate this argument because there are some people who are miserable with their lives and therefore they don't understand why they exist. But if life and existence has productivity and brings a person gratification, then, then it's easier for a person to understand why existence is a good thing. These three errors are what cause people to believe that any of God's actions could be considered frivolous, futile, or in vain. And then he says, we're getting towards the end, realize that some thinkers felt that they were choosing the lesser of two evils by suggesting that some of God's actions were arbitrary. And the Rambam here is pointing out is that even among Jewish thinkers, there are those people who felt that because when we look at the story of creation, we are forced to say that since we can't understand why God created the world at a specific time, we must conclude that it has nothing to do with precision or wisdom, but rather it was God's will that is unfathomable. Okay, and so the Rambam says, I don't like that, but why, what brought those thinkers to come to that conclusion? 
they felt it was the lesser of two evils, that I'm better off saying that than suggesting the alternative, which is the Aristotelian solution to this conundrum, which is to suggest that the world was never created, but rather has eternally existed. They believe that by asserting that everything he acts is by wisdom, there couldn't possibly have been a creation in time and a transition from non-existence to existence. And I refer you back to uh, section two, both chapter 18, pages 300 and 301 in the Pines edition, and also most of chapter 21 back in section two, where the Rambam discusses this idea extensively, where the greatest challenge to the creation narrative that is contained in the Torah is why would God do such a thing if God is the ultimate, uh, perfect, immutable being, what impelled God to decide to create from non-existence existence? To paraphrase, is not a will that becomes manifest at a certain time an indication of change? No, not in immaterial things, just as in immaterial things acting at one time and not at another is not an indication of change. This is a confusion that is born from the equivocal meaning of will, which means one thing for material things and another for immaterial things. And essentially what the Rambam was basically trying to explain to us is that you can say that God willed the world, to, the, all, of, all of existence to exist at a specific time without saying that God in any way essentially changed. The only time something essentially changes through a change of such, of such a dramatic nature is only when they are made out of material things. But God is immaterial, God is incorporeal, and therefore um, any kind of um, change from non-existence to existence does not uh, ne necessarily uh, require an essential change in God himself. And the Rambam discusses other aspects of this idea back in section two, but the fact is, is that the Rambam sort of is being malamed zuchut. He's trying to defend those people who believed that God acted on a whim because they felt that if there was wisdom involved, then it would have been impossible for there to be creation. But I have already explained that this too, i.e. this transition from non-existence to existence was done with the utmost of precision and wisdom. We, however, are not privy to that wisdom. We don't understand it but that doesn't mean that it wasn't done with precision. This is foundational to the entire Torah, which begins and ends with this concept. And then the Rambam quotes the, the verse that he quoted before from Genesis, end of chapter one, where God sees that everything that he has done and behold, it is very good. That shows that this was done with intent and purpose and logic and wisdom. And then you look towards the end of the Torah in Parshat Ha'azinu, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and you see the very same idea, Hatsur Tamim Palo, that God is the rock, all of his acts are pure. He holder Achav Mishpat, everything is done with jurisprudence. Kel Emunavein Avel Tzadik Vyasharhu, he is a, a faithful God, there is no perversity, no arbitrariness in anything that God does. Now, when you consider both our Torah view and the philosophic view, you will find that we are perfectly aligned in this regard, that everything is created with precision and wisdom. The only difference between us is that they view existence as being eternal, whereas we regarded it at, regard it as being produced in time or created. Understand this, and this therefore is the conclusion of the discussion of divine providence, and also the introduction to a discussion of the, perf the perfect uh, construction of the mitzvot 
that we're going to learn about beginning in chapter 26. The last thing I just wanted to present you is because I was looking all over the internet to find the source for these ideas of that, you know, God does nothing that is uh, frivolous, um, futile, or in vain. Um, I was looking for a similar set of descriptions of actions. And what we do find is that um, in Western democracies, um, we do find this concept of applying the procedural default doctrine in such a situation where I just found a paper, an interesting paper that talks about a certain aspect of the law in, a, in the United States, which is called the procedural default doctrine. Essentially, it's, it's, it suggests that if evidence was not presented by a certain time, it cannot be introduced later in order to try to defend the accused. But, but the author says it runs afoul of the centuries old fundamental maxim of jurisprudence, deeply rooted in common sense, that the law does not require useless, vain, or futile acts. Stated in various ways, the ancient maxim, lex non cogit ad inutilia, or the law does not know useless acts, has been a fundamental tenet in Anglo-American jurisprudence for centuries. It doesn't seem that this was created in a vacuum. This goes back to ancient times. The Rambam is familiar with it, that when you create a set of laws, which is what we're talking about, God giving us the mitzvot, then there nothing is created, that uh, nothing is instituted in our laws that are, are useless, vain, or futile. And that, I think, is really what, where he's getting to, that just like um, jurisprudence is a very, very important principle in any society that wishes to be uh, properly structured, we must conclude that when God structured our society by giving us the mitzvot, he did the same as well. All right, this is where we'll hold it for today. I thank you for listening. We hope to Bezrat Hashem continue next week, and then we'll, uh, gonna, we're going to take a break. But for now, uh, we'll see you, uh, God willing, next time when we start our discussion of Ta'amei HaMitzvot, the Rambam's presentation on why the mitzvot are the way they are. Take care now, everyone.